Good morning and welcome to another edition of Alternative News, produced by the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Boomerang peoples of the Kulin Nation, broadcast on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital and streaming on 3cr.org.au. My name's Zachary Doney, CICD member and hospitality worker. Today we're going to be talking about the most recent flare-up in the ethnically Armenian region of Nagorno-Karabakh. This is a de facto independent region within the borders of Azerbaijan. Large-scale military hostilities began on the 27th of September and continue with mounting civilian and military casualties and huge dangers of escalation loom. We'll have a brief history of the countries, a look at their economies, history of the dispute, the current status of the dispute, international significance, the countries involved internationally, and we'll call for de-escalation and peace. First, some history. The histories of these two countries are long and complicated. For the purposes of this show, it is important to note that over the last few centuries or so, they have been part of the Persian, Ottoman and Russian empires. The formation of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR, in 1922 begins the creation of the modern states of both Armenia and Azerbaijan as Soviet Socialist Republics of the USSR by 1936, uh, more or less. The region in question, Nagorno-Karabakh, is situated inside Azerbaijan, Amidst some murky machinations I won't pretend to understand, the region was designated an autonomous oblast, possibly because of its majority Armenian population, but this demographic makeup is contested by some historians. Historian Robert Service and some others are happy to blame Stalin for everything and call it a day. After the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, both countries emerged with their current borders. Azerbaijan has an exclave, which no one seems to be worried about, and Armenia supports the ethnically Armenian enclave of Nagorno-Karabakh and some bordering regions, the territories of the Republic of Artsakh. This area is de jure part of Azerbaijan and its independence is not recognised internationally. Guerrilla fighting over this region began in 1988 and escalated as the USSR dissolved. Moving on, the economies of the countries. Armenia mostly exports copper and gold and molybdenum, which is a component in some steels and other alloys. 30% of their exports are from minerals. Uh, It imports its energy mostly from Russia. Uh, And The production of energy inside the company mostly comes from hydroelectricity as well as a nuclear power plant. Azerbaijan is energy independent. It produces a huge volume of oil and gas. Its top exports are petroleum, petroleum gas, refined petroleum, and so on. Its top import is gold by a big margin, followed by cars and iron pipes. Pipelines go from Azerbaijan through Georgia and into Turkey. Huge oil and gas reserves are offshore 
13 energy companies have signed deals with the state energy company to explore and exploit these resources. The Republic of Artsa carries out some mining of copper and gold, but largely depends on the Armenian diaspora and Armenian government for funds. There seems to be some potential for a tourism market serving mostly Armenian wants, but war is no good for tourism. The history of the dispute. As noted earlier, the modern borders of this region have been imposed on historic areas which were part of larger empires and kingdoms. Inter-ethnic tensions have been present for a long time. In the 20th century, conflict arose as the Ottoman Empire started to hit the rocks. There was the Armenian Genocide by the Ottoman Empire from 1914 to 1923. The widespread Armenian diaspora is a result of this genocide. Ethnic cleansing has never been acknowledged by Turkey. In 1923, Nagorno-Karabakh in Azuri SSR territory is assigned to Armenia SSR due to the majority Armenian population and other alleged political considerations. Under the USSR, tensions were present but seemed to be under control. From 1988 until 1994, guerrilla warfare turned into open warfare as the USSR dissolved into ethnic violence is a feature of this conflict. Several pogroms are in the record, notably Sumgait in 1988 and the Baku pogrom in 1990. These were targeting Armenian populations in the east of Azerbaijan. Inside Nagorno-Karabakh itself, in 1992, Azuris were massacred in the Kojuli pogrom. From 1994, this issue was largely shelved as a frozen conflict and ignored by what passes for the international community. In 1994, a ceasefire was signed, mediated by Russia, and this issue was largely shelved as a frozen conflict and ignored by what passes for the international community. Current status of the dispute. In 2016, a flare-up in the conflict killed 200 people. Shooting earlier this year in July killed at least 16. Early in the morning of the 27th of September, one side's army began firing on the other. This quickly escalated heavy weapons Tanks, conventional aircraft and drones are being used and there are civilian casualties. Predictably, the Azuris blame the Armenians and vice versa. There is not time to go through the ins and outs and the daily occurrences of the conflict, although I understand that this is a current niche hobby of people on the internet. This presenter does not possess the overarching military knowledge to draw out the complexities of this conflict into a cohesive whole, for that, I apologise. Suffice it to say that the situation is very fluid. There already are about a million Azuris displaced in their own country by Nagorno-Karabakh. And as of Thursday, about 75,000 ethnic Armenians have been displaced by the conflict. Continued fighting will only produce more refugees and more bodies. This must stop. Now, this conflict has international significance. Currently, Russia is doing what it can to not get directly involved in the conflict. The stakes are very high. 
Russian Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova issued a diplomatic warning, quote, The downing of an Armenian Su-25 by a Turkish F-16, as claimed by the Ministry of Defence in Armenia, seems to complicate the situation, as Moscow, based on the Tashkent Treaty, is obligated to offer military assistance to Armenia, end quote. Now, this is a serious warning because the downing of this plane would be grounds for Russia to invoke the Collective Security Treaty and under the terms of the alliance of the CSTO, the Collective Security Treaty Organization, then Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan would get involved in the conflict, in addition to the current players. This will provide impetus for Turkey and NATO to get more involved. More mercenaries will be employed, Iran will be dragged in, and this could be the basis for World War III. There are currently several countries involved. Turkey is openly supporting Azerbaijan in the conflict, deploying drones and aircraft, and reportedly recruiting jihadis from the Syrian conflict to fight in Azerbaijan. Now, these jihadis are from a pool of Sunni extremists who have been fighting in Idlib against the Syrian government. These anti-government militias have been offered three- or six-month contracts at 7,000 to 10,000 Turkish lira per month, which is about 1,250 to 1,800 Australian dollars per month. Um, The headline might read, Mercenaries offered JobKeeper money to defend oil and gas facilities in Azerbaijan. I thought these people were meant to be fighting for a free Syria, and guess guess I was mistaken. Please note that Turkish media is calling these reports fake news. Russia is supplying Armenia with weapons. Iran is facilitating this supply. Russia cannot resupply Armenia directly since there's no land border, and Georgia won't let Russia use its airspace to transfer heavy weapons. So they'll be using the Iranian border as an access point. Uh, Israel is selling a lot of weapons to Azerbaijan, and Russia sells weapons to both sides, but it only has a military alliance with Armenia. Turkey's very public involvement is not helping peace efforts. They should be encouraging negotiations rather than escalating the problem. Now this brings us to de-escalation and peace. There needs to be immediate ceasefire. Not assigning blame, nothing like that. Immediate ceasefire. Followed by engagement in peace talks. Now, this could be with the Minsk groups set up in 1992 by the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Uh, I note that as of today, Thursday, the US, France and Russia are meeting to talk about this. Let's hope that something comes from it, and quickly. The Minsk group should really help Azerbaijan and Armenia to resolve this issue and live in peace. But there are problems with this. As Turkish President Erdogan points out, quote, given that the USA, Russia and France have neglected this problem for nearly 30 years, it is unacceptable that they are involved in a search for ceasefire, end quote. Now, this statement is telling. It shows that Turkey is sceptical that there can be a ceasefire negotiated by the mixed group. This is fair enough in the scales of justice sense, 
but is unacceptable considering the risk of further escalation and the increasing body count. Another forum for ceasefire could be the United Nations Security Council. This is problematic because the UN has passed four resolutions calling for the withdrawal of Armenian forces from Nagorno-Karabakh and has not been able to get these resolutions enforced. But we should not get distracted because what is needed and needed right now is immediate ceasefire. Before blame is uncertain, before this or that report is confirmed or disproved, the fighting needs to stop. Turkish involvement must stop. The drone attacks must stop. The F-16 attacks on civilian areas must stop. Jihadi mercenaries must not be used. We've seen what happens when they are used, namely Syria. And we welcome the news that Canada has stopped drone sales to Turkey. Israel must stop selling weapons to Azerbaijan. We condemn the reports of the use of cluster bombs, a banned munition, but we note that neither Armenia nor Azerbaijan nor Israel have signed the treaty which bans these munitions. I guess uh, the international community of which I referred to before has signed these treaties, has created these treaties. Russian arms supplies to Armenia must stop. And look, in short, all parties who are enabling the continuation of this conflict must cease these activities and put their energies into a ceasefire followed by peace negotiations. Is there a possibility of enduring peace, a possibility of ending the conflict once and for all? This could happen if the Republic of Artsakh agrees to dissolve. It is clear that international law does not support its existence. It is correct that the Armenian ethnic majority have been in the region for millennia. Um, The issue here, I guess, is that both sides are correct. First, though, both sides have to come to the negotiating table in good faith and for real peace. I hope that has shed some light on an extremely complicated and extremely fraught situation. I've been Zachary Doney for the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament. You've been listening to Alternative News on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for tuning in. You'll hear from us at the same time next week. Coming up next, Concrete Game.